0: Welcome back to Healthy Perspectives, a podcast dedicated to patients, healthcare, innovation, and technology. I'm Angelica Kapichko, a strategist interested in what moves people to action.
1: And I'm Martin Kirtin. I'm a copywriter who's interested in how we communicate more effectively. We're your hosts.
0: When a child visits a doctor or hospital, it can be a stressful and confusing time. They may not even understand what's going on. But how do you explain what's happening to somebody who's still learning their ABCs?
1: On today's episode, we're talking to Jessica Parisi, Child Life Supervisor at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City. She helps children and their families cope with the stress and uncertainty of hospital visits and medical procedures. So Jess, thanks so much for being with us today. We're super excited to talk to you and learn a bit more about your role and how you do what you do. Um, But I think myself included, some of the people listening today might not be fully familiar with exactly what a child life specialist is. So I wonder maybe we could start if you could just sort of describe and take us through exactly what that role is and what, what you do.
2: Absolutely. Yes. So child life specialists have an important role in the medical team of a pediatric patient. So our role is to support pediatric patients and their families and help them cope with hospitalization, illness, and injury. That's sort of the general one sentence description, but there's sort of a lot of hats that child life specialists wear from procedural preparation to procedural support, therapeutic play experiences, group socialization, normalization experiences, family-centered care. Um, So we really wear a lot of hats within pediatric patients' experience at the hospital. And we really guide our goals based on the child's age and developmental needs and, you know, their diagnosis, et cetera.
1: And how do you actually get involved? Like who actually, is it the doctor that refers you or, or or how does that work?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. So every institution uh, refers in a different way. So typically and ideally, every pediatric patient in a pediatric hospital or on a pediatric wing has a child life specialist. And the child life specialist will assess the child's um, needs, their psychosocial needs, and sort of assess their the frequency of which the specialist will see them. Um, so the yeah, the ideal answer is that every every pediatric patient has a child life specialist if the um, hospital or uh, medical group where they're being seen has a child life department.
1: Wow. And is and is there a certain point that you tend to see patients? Is it when they first get to the hospital, or, or so? What's the the timing, or yeah, wonder how that works.
2: So typically, child life specialists are one of the first people on the medical team that the child will meet because the child life specialist has a huge role in explaining to the child why they're there, what's going on and what's next, sort of narrating their whole experience. So I would say in your acute settings like a emergency department or um, you know other acute settings, the child life specialist is meeting the patient right away. Um, I worked in a hospital where, um, we had a, a few hours or a few days grace period because the estimated length of stay for that patient was uh, about 50 nights. So it was a longer, longer stay, um, which gave more time, you know, for rapport building and things like that.
1: Do you see yourself as sort of part of the core healthcare team or are you sort of like an extra to that? Or I just wondered how closely yeah. or you work with the rest of the teams.
2: Um, Again, wow, every answer I'm saying it depends on the institution, (laughs) but it really does. Um, In some hospitals, I would say the child life specialist is part of the immediate, immediate uh, team, uh, the primary team. And I would say in other institutions, it could be on a referral basis. So for example, there's only so many child life specialists and there's a huge number of pediatric beds. So They sort of come in after the fact or after a referral. But ideally and most commonly, it's, you know, we're part of the psychosocial team, which is within the medical team. So social work, psychology, psychiatry, child life, chaplain, we kind of get grouped into that.
0: Yeah. It sounds to me like this is um, a really vital role that even though it's, you know, still in this, we were saying earlier, kind of an emerging technically field where you know it's still growing people are still getting aware of it but it sounds really vital to me like you are the person that is the child's connection to everything else and really the translator for them but not even just translator almost representative for them It makes me wonder um how it how they function without you
2: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i would say that a child life specialist is a primary advocate for a pediatric patient and their family. Absolutely. There's just such a need for child life within the medical experiences for children. It's just, it's so important. It's crucial.
0: Yeah. I mean, it really is literally speaking another language to them and, and, and sharing that with them so that they actually understand it. That's, It's wonderful that um, that you're available when you are. <laughs> Um, what types of techniques you might have or what types of goals you have going into the different situations? Like do those techniques change based on the goals? Definitely. Um, Like I know you had just mentioned therapy.
2: They definitely change. Um, I would say child life specials can have so many different goals, but our overall, overall goal uh, for a child is to decrease anxiety and increase coping. So within that space, there are hundreds of (laughs) Um, goals that we may have for, for a patient and within those goals, just different te- techniques. So one of the biggest techniques for child life specialists is using child-centered play, which is allowing the child to lead their play with a supportive person who does not guide them and who narrates and facilitates the sort of environment that allows the child to take the play where it needs to go. That could be a little abstract for people to sort of hear. But what I mean by that is um, sort of allow the child to play out what they're experiencing. So allow them to identify a car, a toy car as an ambulance and let them play the experience that the ambulance came to the house and picked up the child and mommy was crying. And, you know, a child life specialist would narrate that and use language to allow the child to take that play where it needs to go instead of. Um, sort of stifling it or saying, mommy wasn't crying, you were okay. You know, that's something we would never say. So sort of child center play is a big, uh, a major technique. And there are, there are certainly some others.
1: Have things evolved? Like, is is are there different techniques now? Or you or maybe, I don't know if you've even noticed like a difference, you know, kids more and more involved with technology. They have more and more screen time. Like, has anything changed? Are you seeing trends or yeah. th- things that are changing?
2: Yeah, I would say... The technology, because yes, it has changed even even my um, during my ten years, which is you know nothing compared to how long I will be in this field. But um, I have seen, you know, we joke that child life specialists are called the iPad ladies, and it could not be more of an insult. <laughs> you know, child life specialists are the ones that are bringing the iPad to the child and. Now the iPad can do everything and, you know, that can, they can be distracted during a procedure. They can use now coping, you know, mechanisms through an app, all these things. And it's so funny when sort of that comes up, but I do try to use the fundamental um, approaches to distraction uh, when supporting a child. Although I will, you know, take my hat off to the iPad when I, when I, you know, when it's due.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, and how do you, it's interesting, again, like, it, you're obviously using the iPad as a tool, but it's much, much more than that. So, like, how do you take it, how do you, like, take it beyond just using an iPad? Like, how does, yeah. how does it get better outcomes, I guess, for the, for the kids?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's more about the facilitation. So, it's about the other things I'm doing. The iPad can be a choice during, let's say, a procedure. And some procedures, just to name a few, um, that are sort of long and require the need for like distraction um, would be like wound care or, um, you know, even phlebotomy, it's faster, but blood draws are scary for kids and can be painful. And so the use of the iPad is one thing that is offered one, you know, item for distraction that is offered to kids. But I think it's really a facilitation of the child life specialist um, and the other things we're doing. So we would say a child, you know, tell the child they can play this game on the iPad, or they can watch this on the iPad, but they they still have an eye on the medical care that's going on. So my role is to allow them to use a distraction, but also narrate so they don't get too lost in the distraction and then have a moment of what just happened. Um, so it's sort of twofold.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's a great point. Actually. I feel like nothing gets by kids They're They're not, you know, they're smarter than most people give them credit for, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah,
2: they're watching and listening.
0: And, you know, in terms of, you know, situations in which, um, you might explain something to a child, I remember you giving the example of being in an MRI, which I think is a place an iPad can't go. Um, but I'd love for you to kind of talk about that type of situation.
2: Absolutely. Um, So, a procedure or an experience like an MRI, um, an MRI is not painful for a child, but it's extremely anxiety provoking because it sounds like a construction site. It is the loudest, loudest machine ever. And so preparation is the biggest component to supporting a child uh, through an MRI experience. So the two biggest things are telling them that what it's going to sound like, perhaps literally playing a sound bite for them so they can hear the knocking and banging and bells and whistles that you hear during an MRI. And that's with the hope of desensitizing them to the, to the MRI experience. Um, after providing preparational support, it's really about being a supportive presence during the MRI experience. So um, narration is a big one, counting down, um, and just, again, being a supportive presence during the experience, reminding them that nothing's going to hurt and sort of narrating what the uh, technician or I'm sorry, the technologist is uh,
1: doing. Yeah, I was, I was just interested with the, with the sort of narration stuff side of things. How 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 tricky is it for, for them to understand what is going on? Is, is that do you, do you find that they, they typically don't really understand what's going on? And
2: I think. It depends. It really depends on age and developmental level. But for example, and this is really interesting, ages say three to seven um, are experiencing something in their development called magical thinking. So these kids, without explanation, without education, truly may think that they are going through an experience because of something they did wrong truly may think that they have a new diagnosis because they yelled at their brother two months ago. Um, and that's a big, um, you know, a very important age group for child life specialists to work with, because I think someone just being there to explain why, how, what, and sort of even the five sense approach to what they're experiencing is so important because it takes the guesswork out of it for them. It takes up a little bit of fear.
1: It's interesting. You mentioned the five sense uh, approach. I just wondered, um, what is that exactly, and how does how does that work?
2: So it's sort of um, the best approach that anyone could ever use with a child. So <laughs> take notes, not only for child life specialists. Um, we find that sort of preparing a child for what they're going to see, hear, smell, taste, whatever, um, really, really increases their coping and compliance. So using concrete you know, language to share what they will experience is so helpful. And again, it just desensitizes them uh, for the potentially anxiety producing or painful experience.
0: So in the case of, let's say, I I imagine this is pretty common, getting a cast removed, how might you go about explaining that to them?
2: It definitely depends on their age. So, um, but generally I would really prepare them for the loud noise of the saw, if you will, um, that's going to be taking off their casts. And I will explain to them that it will not hurt them or touch them um, because it's extremely scary and loud and it can't even hurt them. So biggest thing for them to know is that it won't hurt, but it's going to be loud, which is actually very similar to an MRI experience.
0: Yeah, I've never gotten a cast removed, and I would definitely be afraid of (laughs) it cutting into me or something like that. I can't imagine what a kid might feel too.
2: And for for older kids that could understand and that this would not instill fear, I would tell them that the blade can't cut skin. But I wouldn't want to bring up blade and skin for a younger child because they may think I'm saying it's going to cut your skin. (laughs) Yeah. So, all age dependent.
1: That's, that's really interesting. So, you, you, you really tailor different ways of telling that story depending exactly. on who you're talking
2: to. Yep. Totally individualized, totally patient centered, individualized plans. Yep.
1: I think another technique, again, um, or just a term that I'm interested in, was um, reflective language. And I just wondered if, if you could share sort of what that is and why you might use it.
2: Sure. So, um, using reflective language during just general conversation with a child or in a therapeutic um, child centered play session. Um, It's really an important technique because, you know, when a child plays and they say something and they look up to you, they look up at you to see if you kind of are in agreement or disagreement. Like, can I go there with this? Is this cool? And sort of reflecting it in very similar language or even using the same language as them, gives them that like, okay, cool, I'm going to continue with this idea, <laughs> gives them that um, <laughs> sort of approval and allowance to, to continue. Yeah, it's pretty neat.
0: You had mentioned earlier this rise of family-centered kind of thinking and, and these places that patients could go to. That's something that we've also kind of noticed just broadly across the world of pharma is this rise of patient-centered care. And it's really just becoming this absolute driving force. And we were just wondering kind of like, how would you define patient-centered care or what that maybe specifically means for child-centered care? I
2: think one idea really comes to mind, which is um, meeting the child where they're at. Um, And that can mean a few things. That can mean validating and listening to their current needs and really responding to those needs um, because that's what they need in that moment. So um, validation is a big, big part of child life. And I think when it comes to patient-centered care in general, we should all be using validation to really tell a a patient we're listening. Um, And the other big part that is really important for pediatrics is that we recognize that a child comes from within, um, first of all, a child has parents, which are their primary caregivers or guardians. They come from within a family, a household, with their own customs, culture, tradition, and upbringing. So when we meet a patient or a child or a person, we have to realize that there's so much more behind them and that there's so much that has brought them to where they are in that moment that we need to take we need to respect. We need to take into consideration, and we need to create plans, understanding that every person has a different experience, which can be hard, but it's really important.
0: Oh gosh, that's honestly beautiful because it's really looking at them like like human beings, like, and I think that that's what we try to do as well, and you know, in the world of healthcare marketing, but. I think it's also very easy to overlook that sometimes that you're actually really speaking directly with a person who like you had mentioned has a history that you don't necessarily know, has a culture, has different, you know, family members and friends in their life. And it's all of that, all of those pieces Um, Mm -hmm. and just that validation piece you had said too. Gosh, I mean, isn't that just what we all are looking for as people too, right? But yeah. Wow.
1: I was just thinking it's interesting that you're saying that, you know, it's so important to take, Account of the individual child and the individual child's circumstances and family and culture and all that. I just wondered how. Obviously, it's you know the, the you know the primary focus is, is, is the child, but how involved do you get with with caregivers, mm-hmm. with family, and how do you approach mm-hmm. that? Side of it?
2: Um, so I really uh, include the parents and caregivers and family in the child's care, and or, I'm sorry, my plan of care for the child. Um, first off, understanding that every family is different. And if there is consistently an aunt or a cousin or a best friend or mom's best friend bedside, they're there every day. I'm including them because they're obviously an important piece of this family, an important part of this child's life. So really just being open-minded to who who, uh, makes up a family for a child. Um, And then from there, Child life specialists um, are typically a part of offering um, parent support as well. So that could look individual, one on one, or that can with using therapeutic conversation, normalizing conversation. Um, And that could also look like helping the parent to find resources. That could also look like group um, experiences. So anything from as casual as like a coffee hour for parents uh, facilitating a parent group um to you know more formal
1: groups and, and do you, is the involvement do, do you think sometimes the sort of the involvement of caregivers in the family is essential to like a good outcome like does that can that actually help
2: yeah it certainly can and certainly probably does um you know when a parent is anxious and a child is not my you know antenna goes up and I think, okay, I have to sort of work with the, the parent now because the child are, you know, children feed off of their parents' anxieties. And if the child's like, I'm good with this, you know, I'm coping, I'm compliant. And the parent's crying in the corner. I need to work with that parent
1: yeah,
2: um, and sort of get on the same page. And um, also siblings, I just wanted to mention such a forgotten family member um (laughs) so often when a child is diagnosed with you know a new complex condition or they're hospitalized for a long period of time we talk about the patient and the parents and the sibling is that you know there for the ride but almost not given the same sort of um, attention if you will as the patient or parent and so a big role of child life specialists is to one, provide support for the siblings that are involved, but also make sure that they are getting some special attention, if you will. Um, I Actually worked at a hospital where children were uh, rehabbing after serious injuries um, or a traumatic birth. And I was part of the experience where the, pa- the I'm sorry, the patient's sibling, Would meet the patient for the first time, either ever or after this traumatic experience. So, desensitizing that for the sibling is super important. So, you know, we would literally use play to help the sibling understand what their sibling is going to look like, what they're going to see. So, that may be, you know, creating a teddy bear with some tubing you know, in places that the child may have tubing, coming out, um, explaining what their new presentation is like, and really um, supporting the parent in that, because that, as you can imagine, is just, you know, really tough. So just providing that support for siblings, including them, and giving them a role. It's really
1: important. I, I, I love I'm i thinking of my brother, who's the middle sibling. I think he was mm-hmm. like, against gets the
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. You're so right, though, because that spotlight is shined really bright on that, that you know, patient experiencing the things, the kids experiencing the things. But you said something that really resonated with me, which is like they're also, the sibling is also experiencing this and is also along for the ride. Um, but they're not necessarily getting that guidance they need without somebody, you know, taking them through it. Yeah, exactly.
1: Another thing you mentioned, which I just thought was interesting, was you're saying how sometimes you're... you're helping people deal with sort of firsts. I just wondered, are there any other sort of like oh, first yeah. experiences? Is that like a big part? Of so
2: fun. Um, <laughs> there are so many firsts that I get to witness. Um, I get to witness first baths by mom or dad, which is amazing <laughs> um, because typically in a NICU setting, that's not, you know, depends, but it could be done by the medical team. Uh, first time breathing on their own. Without a trach, first time walking post, you know whatever accident they may have had. Um, first time using a, a walker. First time putting on their own clothes since said accident.
1: There's a certain art and a skill and an experience that you obviously developed over the years of, of, of knowing how best to communicate. And like we just said in that last example, sometimes even, you know somebody's own parent may not be in the best position to do that. So I just wondered, you know, I I suppose, you know, what we do and the people who are listening, we're we're sort of hopefully working on behalf of brands to try and communicate to patients, to caregivers. And I just wondered if you had any tips of things like, I guess, things not to do or things where you see people are communicating perhaps in a way that isn't helpful, or if you had any tips on, maybe there's a better way to actually communicate to either, either the children or, or their families.
2: I think it just goes back to listening and validating and just responding to the client or patient or parent to where they where they are. Um, so I think when people listen with their listening ears on or talk, I'm sorry, with their listening ears on, it's going to organically create a very patient-centered conversation, if that makes sense.
1: I know that, say, sometimes you mentioned you might use an iPad or you might use audio. There might be just different things that... That perhaps just different ways or different, different different chances to sort of you know you know helping kids to kind of cope, process, plan, and learn, and I just I, I sort of like the idea of all those those four things. Is there anything that can help the kids with yeah. that? Um, that's
2: a that's a good question. I think just um, trusting the child life specialists to share what is needed. So trusting the child life specialist in what they need to do their job best is important in terms of materials. Um, I also wanted to comment on virtual reality. There's this whole world of uh, companies creating VR systems for pediatric patients, and they're super expensive, but they're super cool. (laughs) And it's really, it gives the child the opportunity to enter another world, um, whether they're under the sea watching live dolphins or they're playing a game with their eye, eye gaze-led game. Like it, It's just really cool stuff. And it does immerse them into another world and can be a huge help in distraction, but they're so expensive and um, usually uh, not the first thing that the hospital is going to
1: fund. And it's something you've used in your practice. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's. I have. I use it with um kids teens and even adults i've lended it to the uh or adult floor wow um mm -hmm. yeah i've lent it to them and uh uh it's it's certainly a a cool experience and it's hit or miss you know some kids are like i can't see what's going on get this huge thing off my head and the other ones are like
0: wow this is great i didn't even (laughs) feel the blood draw (laughs) That's really cool because I like how you mentioned that it's used for distraction. I just wonder if there might also be ways to use it for education, or I, don't, I can't even. But that that sounds yeah. like really cool. Yeah,
2: and there certainly are. There are companies that have created educational resources in you know on their VR systems. For example, um, an MRI. You know, educating a child of what an MRI is going to be like through the VR system. Uh, that would be something you would show a child before the MRI.
0: Yeah, that sounds like an ideal way to go through it. So, yeah, it's pretty neat. The only other thing that I remember you talking about was in terms of goals, kind of going back to that piece of it, um, you had also mentioned that there's a reduction in sedation. Is that Do you feel like that's a, a big outcome of this, or can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure, sure. So. That's something that I just started working on a few months ago where I work. Um, So I just sort of took over that program, which is that if we have a child life specialist um, providing preparation and support during an MRI, there's less of a need for sedation. And that means that the MRI is like 1000 times shorter than if you were to have a day of sedation. And it also means money is saved, and most importantly, it means the child does not need to have the risks of anesthesia. So it's pretty neat um, working with you know kids as young as three and four, where they would typically be sedated just for an MRI. I'm getting I have the opportunity to um, provide like very in depth preparational support with their parent, which then gets translated to the child. So I provide the parent with sort of the information they need to know. And then I'll give them language to use with the, with the child um, in preparation for the MRI. And then day of, I'm there to sort of support them and uh, narrate the experience. And usually a lollipop or a toy reward is uh, expected.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's a huge win though. That's, that to me is amazing to be able to reduce that.
2: It really is. It really is. And I've just gotten such amazing feedback from parents who share, like, we were going to do this with sedation. I can't believe you helped encourage us to do this without and it worked. Like, they're just so grateful that they didn't have to go through that experience. And they get out of here in 40 minutes instead of hours.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's amazing. That yeah, as, as you of saying, like, a different type of communication can actually be more effective than a medical intervention
2: yeah exactly but that's something we often sort of talk about in child life is let the child life specialist try first so we're like before you try that um you know clonazepam or whatever let's the anxiety med let's just see if they'll tolerate physical therapy with child life <laughs> and it often works
0: yeah it's that very human approach yeah i love it exactly
1: yeah just thanks so much for talking to us today i think it's been really amazing to learn a little bit more about you know you and your role and what you do and just the amazing things that um you can actually be achieved through through that kind of approach so thanks so much bruce
2: thank you both so much for having me and Giving the child life specialist a platform to speak on, it's really important for our field and I really appreciate it.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure. The way we communicate can actually have a significant impact on health outcomes. For healthcare marketers, it underlines the importance of validating patients by truly listening to them and speaking to them in their own language.
1: As always, stay tuned for more updates and perspectives from Patience and Purpose by following us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and all your other favorite social platforms.